Welcome to the Seventh Art Podcast. My name is Christopher Heron. I'm the host of the Seventh Art. It's a podcast about cinema, and it's also a video magazine about cinema that you can find at www.theseventhart.org. In today's episode, we're going to be talking with avant-garde filmmaker Amy Greenfield. Uh, Amy came to present a number of her works, which deal with human movement uh, and experimental film dance, you could call it, and combines the two in a historically unique way. She presented a few of those films thanks to the Loop Collective, whom we talked to two members of in our third issue, and uh, they helped facilitate this interview, which was an interesting interview. Amy was only had a little bit of time, and she had just come from a strenuous flight where she was getting her films across the border, which is somewhat difficult because, as we discussed in the in the interview, she had notably been um, been the target of a, a censorship dispute on YouTube in 2010. So she's still dealing with that in some ways. Um, there was a problem with the image, and uh, we weren't able to get a video interview out of it. But um, I hope you enjoy this this brief conversation with a completely unique filmmaker and originator of the cine dance mode or, or genre within experimental film, Amy Greenfield. Enjoy. With the book coming out, I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit about your first impulses towards cinema. Well, I think it was, um, I was studying to dance, to be a dancer and choreographer, and um, it was, um, two things were happening. The quote, underground film, uh, Jonas Mikas' screenings in the Cinematheque, and I was living in, um, I went to um, Harvard and I was living in Cambridge, and then the European uh, art films coming, and, um, it was just so in the air, and I remember my wonderful um, teacher saying if he had it to do over again, he would make films, and we were talking about imagery, and just the, the whole, um, the, the wide open possibilities, and, and there were hints of, uh, because of the underground is silent cinema, like, I mean, Kenneth Anger, I don't know if you realize, but Kenneth study dance and his work is all, every single one of his films is influenced by dance. So I felt that. And then um, films of Fellini and Bergman where so much of the expression is um, um, non-verbal at, at a certain extreme point and it just gripped me. I said, I know this is what I want to do. I know I can do it. And then seeing my Darren's films, it's like, oh, it's possible. I can do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> Were there any other traditions that you were maybe in dialogue with or even resisting? I know you mentioned early cinema, Millier. I didn't know any of that at that point. No, I, I didn't think, I mean, I wasn't interested in Hollywood films. That was just another world. No, I was just um, in love with, uh, I mean, it was that era where just possibilities opening up. And, uh, I just felt I wanted, with dance, I wanted to do something that no one else had done. Uh, and then, of course, I found out, oh, well, they have done a lot, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, and, uh, no, I wasn't resisting anything. What would the distinguishing features be between your films and, say, screen dance, which you've mentioned, like a television-based... Oh, yeah. I would say um, what I love, you can hear, what I love is film. I wanted to make films, and what I loved about films is, is that there was a way of, of the actors, a way of 
communicating what was coming from the inside, and that, um, as with um, the early Russian theorists and Pudovkin talking about how they went from the difference between stage acting and film acting and all the discoveries and what may, makes this great, and, and to me, that's what I wanted. So to, to my mind, I wanted to have a really different form of, of dance, of, of um, what I resisted was the dance part of things, the training I'd had, and that I felt it was, it was just not cinematic, and it was something that you had to destroy that and start from another place, from the basis of things. And with screen dance, uh, and, and to, to, because of the camera's moving and, and the frame is so different, it's just a, a really different expression of the body. And to not have you see, oh, this is a dancer doing a dance, and she has learned or he has learned how to do this, but that it's an experience, and to have you experience this um, motion which says something as cinema as a, a, an actor's face can do, and you read thought, you read. So the screen dance, wants to keep the tradition of dance and work from where we are now, especially a postmodern dance. It's very oriented towards that. And put this form in various ways onto the screen. And see, think, of, oh, there's a frame instead of the proscenium. And we replace this proscenium by the screen. But it's still like a proscenium. And some very lovely things are being done in that. But you're always no matter how much it is for the screen, you are in one sense, it's about dance. You are looking at a dancer, and that's the difference. How is your process with, uh, with actors or, or dancers or performers in your, in your works? How do you direct in that sense? Uh, it's, so, it's so, that's so, so complicated. Whew, it's different for different people. It was totally different because, for instance, I worked with Bertram Ross, who was Martha Graham's partner, and he was my teacher. And um, when we, after he, you know, quit and she had died, so in class he would be talking to us, and his face, everything, it would be like, oh my God! I mean, it was saying something. But I got to get that on film. And I'd be standing close to him, and he would talk how in a Graham piece that the dancers now they move, but he just could stand there, and you knew what he was doing. So because I was close to him, it was in conversation. It was totally cinematic. Then I said, OK, you're going to be in my film, Antigone, and he plays Oedipus and Creon. And we, uh, everything was great until I turned the camera on. And then it was like opera house you know, out there. So it took a year. And just telling him, for you, you don't have to. All you do is stand there, think, stand there, do this, that, that, that. So I said, okay, I'm going to make it so hard. Sometimes if you make it so hard for him, he's not going to fall, not going to level ground. He's going to be up on cliffs, and he's going to have to keep his balance, because that's what a film actor wants, is you want, um, you're working with, against something that is real, and you have to, you need that. And the night before we went, he said, you know, Amy, you tell me exactly what I just read Elizabeth Taylor told Richard Burton <laughs> to get him to go from, so he was just, but he was amazing because he was so humble. He was just like a be wanting to be a beginner, just total trusting. Whereas the other performer, I was working the same thing, Janet Alber, she had gone from dance to Hollywood screen acting. When she was in Whose Life Is It Ever Anyway with Richard Dreyfuss and doing television roles. And she was on contract to NBC for starring in a, in a TV series and couldn't do any else. So she came back to dance with the Martha Graham Company. And I saw her and said, oh my god, you're perfect for this. So I didn't have to direct her at all. So, and then I worked with erotic dancers, strippers. And 
Um, in that sense, I hardly had to direct them just to get them to be able to repeat things or something because they're used to what they want is a one-on-one -on -one relationship with a client and draw them in. And they use thought and they use, you know, many things inside that, you know, you're not aware of. And so that was with them, it was one of them, she was also a singer, she said, you know, in cabaret and they said, you, you can't fake a smile. It's, it's, it's real. So that is so different from normal stage dancers. So it's, it's all over the place. <laughs> And the shift from film to video and even multimedia works, uh, what goes into those decisions? What format you use? Well, with Antigone, it was a dramatic piece. It was big, monumental, clearly film. I mean, more and more, it's harder to work in film. But I don't know exactly. I mean, I do have um, two films that I had a grant, and it's partly money, of course. So I had a grant, and it's like, OK, I've got a grant. You know, I'm going to really shoot it in film and design it around film. And then eventually I brew up to 35 millimeter because I just want to, you know, this is what I want. So it's, it's hard to tell. Well, multimedia, several times it's been because I've been editing so much. I'm just so sick of, you know, just something about that long, lengthy process of, of cinema. And it's like, oh, let, let's just get up there and have something really live. And, and it just is what, at that point, what I have the urge to do and, and, and what would be fun and, and, and just that live process. But eventually, even that live process, I mean, eventually I want to make a film out of it. With Club Midnight, especially when it's available on DVD, I guess I'm considering how the screen size is something that alters the relationship the spectator has to these movements. I don't know, because uh, I, you know, like my film Tides um, yeah. was, uh, got a lot of attention on the internet because of Tides and Element were censored on YouTube and yes. I protested it. And, we actually, with the National Coalition Against Censorship and Electronic um, Frontier Foundation, we changed YouTube's guidelines up to a point. I mean, we really did. So I guess in, the, in that world, I'm kind of known for that. It's very, um, it was real to me when I did it. Now it's, it's very unreal, but I know, I mean, performance artists are able to put things up now and everything, so I'm very happy. So a lot of people saw Tides who would never have seen it. And because it was on this popular uh, blog site called Boing Boing Boing. And it was amazing because their perception of it was the comments I got on that um, were s closer to what I had originally intended. So it didn't make a difference. It was, yeah, with my particular work. And um, it was extraordinary. One person was the experience of the holy, the, the holy body experience. And it was like, yes. And I, you know, I had made it as a film years and years and years ago in a whole different world. So I just think it's something about my work, which um, I can't help. It's who I am. And I worked very long on the pieces. So it doesn't help in terms of immediate commercial viability, but it helps in terms of that I recycle it in the different forms that we have. And the latest one is I have brought out DVDs now. And, you know, and it's making sure that the quality is there enough. But what I don't like, what doesn't seem to work for me, is when you have to like excerpt it. I, I can't that changes the perception of it for me. And 
certain contexts. I mean, that was the right context for Tides, but there are certain internet contexts where I've just taken my work off because it's shown with other work that I feel slants what it is. And that, that is, I think there's a perception there. So the internet's a whole, I mean, and then I get other comments where it's like, oh no, you know, I didn't mean my work to be that way. But I think it's partly when it's an excerpt and yeah. they can't experience the form and the whole thing. So my work is strange that way. I've come to the conclusion <laughs> without <laughs> meaning to be. <laughs> Did you think that the reaction uh, to the YouTube posting was just simply based on the, the nudity, or do you think that there was something a little more provocative about the form that... Yeah, um, this is what we don't know, because it's, it's just very strange. Why my why things can be left up for a long time. I mean, I even did have other work up there for a year and it was, there was nothing. Why Element and Tides? They, the National Coalition Against Censorship, they said they just do not know. But I feel that there, there, there are things because the camera is so close and it is it's so visceral. And there, I think there was something that was, that was going on. There was something that a chord that was struck, although it's, it's, it's mysterious who are these people, you know, on what basis are they making the decisions. But I think there was, as I said, that it's so close and the camera is so dynamic and it is different than what other work that you would normally see, that it's like, oh, just stick something nude up there. It's not like that. So there was something that got to, to them, I think. So something maybe with the, the perception or the, of the, or the perspective of the camera in relation to the body. Right, because it's, it, it is dynamic. It is part of the process and, you, and, and it moves through the body. It, it is also like with element and both of them, there's something that encompasses what's happening inside. So it's, it's, it's uniting and with element and also with element where I'm, I'm in the mud, but it's evoking very primal experiences and that's what I wanted. As of what this means and uniting the body with inner experience and inner primal experience. And is this female, visceral, of powerful, it's powerful, but it's erotic, but you could see it as disgusting at the same time. And that's, you know, can be disturbing. And I have another, another one, Music of the Body, which I unfortunately had to take off because the performer, she got afraid at a certain point her boss was gonna see it. <laughs> and she's a teacher. So I had to take it off, but that one's very extreme because it's, it's also extreme art. It's, it comes out of a fluxus performance and it's like, what is this beautiful woman doing these awful things, you know? <laughs> so there's very transgressive about that. So it's complex and I think that did get them because they, they took them off immediately. Off of two sites, I had an art dealer at that time. How has that matched up with the reception you've, you've had over the years in general? Well, I think it's, uh, in that sense, the context makes a difference. Because the only other time I've had this was when um, Anthology Film Archives in New York, they had something on um, cable access and someone called in and so they had to have a court case and, and they, the judge deemed it was art. In that context, they couldn't show it on television. It's a whole different reception because they just can't be on, just that they don't want it on. Um, as I said, that people who would no normally not have seen my work would just found it just, they said, I've, we don't, under, you know, in Boing, from Boing Boing, it's like, we don't understand why is she, they censored this, this is beautiful. So it just varies, and of course in Europe and probably Canada, things that would come up in the United States aren't 
issues that I found. I mean, they're just, they're just not issues in the United States. And, you know, of course, I, I, you know, I couldn't show it in the Middle East, you know, so location would make a difference. So those things, you know, make differences. Are there any other um, maybe motifs or, or things that you've, you've realized crop up more and more as you look back at what you've created? Apparently it's unusual, because this programmer in Chicago said it's unusual for a woman to be dealing with the female erotic in, in cinema, and, and there are, I mean, um, other people. But I, I don't want to deny any side of anyone. And, uh, you know, I do tend to deal with women or, or a relationship, male-female relationship. So I don't want to deny any aspect of being female. And, that's, that, and that seems to be there in, in very different ways. And also that I don't tend to work with one kind of performer or person or genre, or if I've done that, I want to go and do something else. Like I did a feature tragedy, and then I worked with um, erotic dancers to then make, you know, unite that with avant-garde cinema and digital cinema. So I think those two things, looking back, seem to be constants. <laughs>